This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. At exactly 11 o'clock on Tuesday night, most of the networks and others who were covering it live called the election for Barack Obama. Not to be too dramatic, but Obama's victory marks the beginning of a new period in American history in a lot of ways. One of these ways is in terms of how we think about race in America. For some people, the election of the first black president means we don't really need to think about race anymore. I mean, how could there be a race problem in the U.S. when there's a black president? For others, the fact that Barack Obama is African-American has directed much-needed attention to racial issues and the disparities that exist between black people and white people in America. But the fact remains, black president or no, that in many ways, the U.S. is a place where different racial groups often have profoundly different outlooks, not just on political issues, but on questions that are fundamental to who we are. One of those questions is what it means to be a man. I believe it takes honesty, uh, integrity, loyalty. Confidence, security, respect. (laughs) Well, genitals, (laughs) genes. (laughs) To be a man, you have... uh... To be smart, you have to be educated, you have to be interested in things besides you. Someone who respects women and takes care of business. A person that uh, can, uh, on his own, decide what is good and what is bad. I was bar mitzvahed. Now here's a different question. Given all that, is it manly to go to the doctor? It turns out that people's ideas of who they are as men color their idea of whether it's necessary or desirable to see a doctor for physical or mental health issues. And race, of course, colors our ideas of what it means to be a man. Now, you might be saying this is fascinating and all, but what does it mean in the real world? Here this morning to explain what it means in the real world and how we can use this information to get people to take better care of themselves is Jay Wade. Wade is an associate professor of psychology at Fordham, and his research is on something called masculinity ideology and how it affects health. Wade joined me in the studio recently, and we talked about manly men, sensitive new age guys, and what we can do to keep them both healthy. Jay Wade, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, you you study something called masculinity ideology. In a nutshell, what does that mean? Well, masculinity ideology is basically a culture's prescriptions for how men are supposed to think about what it is to be a man. I also study male identity, which is something a little bit different, and that's the extent to which a male feels psychologically related to other males. So you have, like, masculinity ideology. It's just, you know, any kind of ideology with regard to masculinity. You look in particular at the masculinity ideology of African-American men and also how it affects their success in both getting help for mental health issues and in taking care of their physical health. Let's start with the mental health question. What troubles in particular do African-American men have when they seek help for mental health issues? African-American men are no different from men from other racial ethnic groups with regard to the reasons why they would seek help and uh Basically, men tend to wait till the last minute to seek help for anything. And when it comes to mental health issues, oftentimes it's going to be depression, but uh, which is common for women as well. But the thing is, men tend to manifest depression a little differently. When men are depressed, they rarely talk about, you know, I'm feeling down or sad or something like that. They tend to withdraw, start to drink, do drugs get angry and irritable and things like that. 
typically when a man seeks help for mental health issues, it's through the courts or because someone has said, you better do this or you're going to lose your job. Or wife says, you know, if you don't get help, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to take the kids. Those kinds of things. Men just typically don't seek help. That raises several questions. First, um, why is it felt that men manifest depression and other mental health issues differently than women? It has to do with how men and women are taught to be men and women from little boys and little girls, which we call gender role socialization. So boys, for example, are taught they're not supposed to be sensitive and act like girls or cry or, you know, things basically show uh, tender emotions. Anger is something that is okay for men to show, so, and it's not okay for women to show. So men oftentimes will express other emotions through anger, such as disappointment, feeling betrayed, feeling sad. It all comes out in in terms of like anger or um, acting out feelings of anger. And it's just because this way boys are taught to be men. They're not supposed to be emotional. And you say that men are more likely to wait than women until the last possible moment to seek help. Right. Seeking help is, is not masculine. That's, you know, you're supposed to take care of things on your own. Be fiercely independent. Now, um, you've done some writing about the troubles that African-American men do tend to have once they do decide to seek help. What are some of those problems? I'm thinking about things like over-medication and uh, health care workers feeling sort of threatened, things like that. Before I went back and got my Ph.D. in psychology, I worked in the mental health field as an occupational therapist for many years and um, I noticed some things when I was there and these are some of the things I wanted to address in in my uh, research. Basically, a lot of times what I found was that men would want, they might express their needs, like I said, through anger. Black men in particular, if they express anger, have been perceived as threatening. And also, in general, um, African-American men, I didn't feel they got the help that they, not only were they not understood that well, but they didn't get necessarily the help that they actually needed. Oftentimes what they did need was some practical help, help finding a job, uh, help dealing with a spouse, and oftentimes what those needs were ignored for more um, things like let me manage this person on medication and let's get him into drug rehab or something like that as opposed to like actually dealing with the person's problem that they presented, the practical problem. So what did you, um, when you decided to study this, what did you sort of propose as being a better way to understand what was going on? Well, there's two things. One, I started off by focusing on African-American men um, and writing about some of the things I saw and the history of African-American men and what their issues are and how best to treat them. And I did some of that writing about institutional racism or men, African-American men as fathers, African-American men and chemical dependency and how to best work with these different populations of African-American men. But I felt, you know, that that was really kind of limiting myself in terms of what I could do. So I developed a theory of male identity that applies to all men as just as a way to explain what might be behind why some men are the way they are and therefore how to best work with men 
as consumers of mental health care, mental health treatment, in particular psychological treatment, psychological services. So tell me about that theory. The theory basically is that there are these three male identity statuses and one male identity um and I'm talking very generally about this um it's like you have your uh, a guy who doesn't feel connected to other guys doesn't feel similar to other guys this kind of guy is feels like he's male of course but it's, he feels different from other males doesn't feel connected and this is in my uh, research and and in my theory is shown to be related to like poor psychological functioning, anxiety, depression, conflict about masculinity and things like that. And that's called uh, no reference group male identity. Another male identity status is called reference group dependent. And this is your typical guy. This is a man who is dependent on other males for self definitions of their masculinity um, they have a sense that there are some guys who, you know, they tend to be friends with or identify with and other guys who are dissimilar to oneself and they don't identify with and they avoid. So there's this in-group, out-group distinction with regard to other males. This is just your typical guy. He tends to be traditional in his masculinity, meaning he um, has stereotyped attitudes about gender roles, about masculinity, what it is to be a man. Whatever the prevalent, dominant view of masculinity is in a culture, that person will take that on and try their best to live up to it. Their sense of their masculinity may be somewhat fragile in the sense that they're only really comfortable with other guys like themselves, which may not be too hard if you're a straight, white male in his 20s and 30s. As long as you have those typical characteristics, you probably will feel terribly fine, but you feel uncomfortable when you're around men who are not like yourself. And then there's one other identity status, which I call reference group non-dependent, and this is where the man has basically decided for himself uh, his own masculinity. He's not dependent on others for self-definitions of masculinity, and as a result... He's much more flexible and autonomous with regard to enacting his gender uh, or his masculinity. So they're not threatened by difference. There's appreciation of diversity among men. They can be accepting of men whose uh, sexuality or sexual orientation is different, who are racially different, who are socioeconomically different. They may not, you know, necessarily be with those kind of people all the time, but they're not threatened by them and they're comfortable by them. Such men tend to be your non, what I would call your non-traditional guys. They're free to enact uh, their masculinity without, you know, feeling uh, like they have to adhere to the way, you know, society says you're supposed to be. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty.
My guest on the show today is psychologist Jay Wade, and we're talking about masculinity, race, and health. Let's get back to that conversation. So you have men who are um, in the scenario who were just sort of alienated from all other men, ones who have sort of an us-against-them kind of attitude, and then finally ones who have, I guess, what we would consider sort of a more even-handed, I guess, attitude toward um, other men as a group. And that all makes, you know, that makes intuitive sense. But what's interesting, I think, especially about this, is one of the things that you write about is this actually affects how people go about getting health care, not just, you know, mental health care, but like going to their, going to get a physical, things like that. Tell me how that works. In my research, the I looked at health attitudes and behaviors of African-American men, the no-reference group status related to poor health behaviors. My thinking about that was that such men may be um, less likely to care for their health because they're having problems in general in their life. Um, these men who have no reference group, is, it's usually not the central thing that's going on. It's one of many things that's going on with that man. I did find, however, that if such a man has non-traditional attitudes about masculinity, then he's more likely to take care of his health. So the attitudes about masculinity is what we would call a mediator. It, it changes the relationship between the male identity status and uh, health behaviors. Now, I also found that the no, uh, the non-dependent reference group identity status, the one where the guy's more flexible and autonomous and enacting gender roles, they tend to have more positive health behaviors attitudes conducive to taking care of one's health which is like not your not typical of guys we don't tend to take care of our health this is the whole issue but those who are more non-dependent in their male identity what i found is they're more likely to care for their health but the reason why is because they also tend to have more non-traditional attitudes about what it is to be a man. So when I say non-traditional attitudes, it's something that differs dramatically from traditional attitudes. Non-traditional attitudes is like it's okay for a man to express emotion. It's okay for men to like hug one another. It's okay to uh, be afraid, you know, things like this that, you know, it's not associated with your typical guy. What I found basically is a relationship between the male identity status the attitudes ones have about masculinity and how that relates to their health-related attitudes and behaviors. All right. So men who don't identify themselves as sort of having a reference group, they are less likely to take care of themselves health-wise. Yes. Men yes. who are sort of more flexible about it are, are, I guess, the most likely. Is that right? The guys who are more flexible about their well. They've got they've got a sense of their masculinity that's not dependent on others. They define for themselves what it is to be a man. So they're more likely to also go against the grain, so to speak, in your traditional guy. They're more flexible and autonomous in enacting their masculinity, their gender roles. So that allows them to also, like, take care of themselves in terms of their health. I mean, I also found some things about African-American men in particular about their masculinity and how it relates to health. 
for example, there's certain aspects of traditional masculinity that are health conducive for African-American men. Um, this has not been found in any other research with, with any other racial ethnic group. But what, for, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What kind of things? Oh, well, one in particular that stood out was the whole idea of self-reliance. Self-reliance has been theorized to be an aspect of traditional masculinity. Self-reliance means you don't depend on others for anything. You just do everything on your own, basically. I don't need help with anything. It's, a, it's an autonomy about um, caring for the self and caring for one's life in particular. I mean, it's like you just don't need anybody. Self-reliance in my, in, in my study of African-American men related to taking care of one's health. That was a pretty strong relationship. Now, why is that? I don't know. I think it's just something that I found out and I think it's important to incorporate into any type of uh, education efforts or for doctors and working with uh, African-American men to promote self-reliance as a means to taking care of one's health. It's good. It's a good masculine thing uh, to to have because it means you also take care of yourself in terms of your health. You have, as you mentioned, done your research specifically on African-American men as a group. Why did you choose that group in particular? Well, this all started because there was grant money available to do this kind of research. Right now, there is um, a movement within um, the health fields with regard to the government to do something about the health status of racial ethnic minority men. And what we have found through research, um, epidemiological research, is that African-American men have basically the poorest health of all racial ethnic gender groups, and they therefore do not live as long as anybody else. They have the shortest lifespan. So there is some grant money out there to study these health disparities, um, in particular minority, racial ethnic minority men. Now, I started off with African-American men because I've – uh, they're the uh, most affected group, number one. Number two, because I'm an African-American man, of course, I feel certainly, you know, some responsibility and connection with, you know, my people. So I started with that, but I am at the point now of doing uh, research on other racial ethnic minority men because it's needed. Why? Why is it needed? We need to find out what it is that men are doing and how they're thinking with regard to themselves as men, that is shortening their lives. And uh, there's obviously other reasons for um, gender disparities in health, but researchers found that the majority of things that affect our health are behavioral. In other words, they're choices that we make. And within the psychology of men, our focus has been uh, uh, the people who do this this kind of work that I'm doing, which is called the psychology of men. Our focus has been to look at masculinity ideology as a contributor to men's health behaviors and therefore, you know, why they don't live as long as women. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. 
Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarchy. On today's show, George talks with the author of a new memoir of growing up Italian-American in the Bronx in the 60s and 70s. That's ahead at 7.30. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with Jay Wade. You mentioned people enacting masculinity in different ways. What ways might people enact masculinity that would affect their, well, their likelihood to seek out health care and also their ability to get good health care once they were there? The typical way men enact their masculinity is not going to um, get them to the point of, of even getting help. So the way a man would have to enact his masculinity is to take uh, uh, see health, physical and well as mental health, as as being part of a man. It's associated with manhood and masculinity. That is a different, that's a reconfiguration of typical masculinity or traditional masculinity as we know it. Because the idea is you're supposed to be tough and you're supposed to take it. And, you know, to go and say, you know, I need help with this or I have a cold or, you know, I feel bad or whatever, that has been associated with weakness. So masculinity would have to be totally reconfigured. Well, I don't know about totally, but it has to be like I like I mentioned about self-reliance as a it's a thing that could be reconfigured to be um, understood in terms of taking care of one's health. There's a uh, example of this that um, has occurred in um, with um, the government in terms of the educational um, promotion about uh, depression. Now, the idea is that men would not seek help for depression. Instead, you know, they drink or do drugs or kill themselves. And, you know, uh, men are more likely to kill themselves than, than women. Women are more likely to attempt suicide. Men are more likely to be successful at it because they use more harmful means like, you know, a gun for example, or, uh, you know, hanging oneself, uh, jumping off a bridge, anything, or a building. So anyway, the the government came up with this real men, real depression campaign. Now, what they're saying is that, you know, real men, a real man also can really have depression, which means, you know, you should not be ashamed if you have this, and therefore, if you have this, you should seek help. It's it's a total reconfiguration of seeking help by saying that it's manly to get help if you're feeling depressed. Often what I do in my teaching of, of about working with men and counseling and psychotherapy is when a man comes in for help, or seeks help for like substance abuse or mental health issues or even, you know, any, you know, cancer related issues or anything like that. The, the clinician, it would behoove them to reinforce that by saying, you know, I'm proud of you. That took a lot of courage. You, you reframe it not as weakness, but as strength to actually take care of yourself. So if I am a healthcare worker, what do I need to know? Well, first of all, if if we're talking about um, physicians, a medical health care worker, uh, uh, you know, basically is that we do find that there is some um, attitudes that healthcare care professionals have about men. They don't 
they they are affected by um, society just like all men are affected by society with regard to the ideas of how men should behave. So first of all, if a man is seeking help for treatment, it doesn't mean like, you know, he's a wuss or, you know, he's a punk or, you know, there's something, you know, it's like there's actually research that shows that healthcare professionals, not all of them, you know, it's just one study that indicates that healthcare professionals may look negatively upon men who seek help um, frequently, whereas if a woman does it, it's like, okay. But if a man does it, it's like, Ugh, what's wrong with this guy? You know, it's just not manly to do that. So one, it's, you know, check your own, you know, as a healthcare uh, provider, I would say, you know, check your own attitudes about, you know, how you think men should behave and what you think masculinity is and be able to recognize and, and encourage men for and reinforce them for taking care of themselves. Let them know that, you know, um, I, my research has shown a lot of things, particularly to African-American men, but I think it probably generalizes, and I'll find out in future research, to other men from other racial ethnic groups. But the idea is that men, in, in talking with men, men care a lot about the African-American men and probably all men care a lot about like their spouses and their children. So especially like the children. Um, one thing is to communicate to a man that he needs to take care of himself so that he can be around for his family. Um, first of all, he could be a model to his children in terms of how you're supposed to take care of yourself. Second of all, you know, don't you want to be around and see them grow up, see your grandchildren? Men love their children. Men love their families, typically. Um, and that can be a strong motivator for taking care of uh, one's health. Um, you need to do this. You need to get screened for prostate cancer. Don't you want to be around for your kids, you know? Uh, you need to take care of your blood pressure and blah, blah, blah. You, don't you have you – know, if you don't have kids, then it's like, okay – it could be your family, uh, your loved ones, uh, your wife, girlfriend, lover, spouse, uh, whoever, you know. Um, think about others and when it comes to taking care of yourself. And always that, you know, I think men need to be um, reinforced and told, you know, what you're doing is like a really good thing. This is very good what you're doing. Don't feel bad about it. Um Support, I think, is good for men. Well, Jay Wade is an associate professor of psychology at Fordham. Dr. Wade, thanks so much. Thank you. If you're a man and you're sick, you can't fulfill, like, your manly duties that you have to do. Like, if you was, if like, you thinking that you're not going to the doctor is a manly thing, like, you can take care of yourself, it's usually the ones that's, like, dying, like, inside their house. Like, that's not a non-manly thing to do. I know a lot of people who are afraid of going to the doctor, but it's just something that you need to do. Any concern about your health is being a responsible human being, a human man, you know, an adult. I mean, it's part of responsibility when you think about it. Like, you have to take care of yourself in order to do what you have to do in life, so.
from WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. Producing the show this week with help from Liz Brockland, I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening and have a fabulous weekend. To take us over the road. Made me the train. To carry the heavy load. Made me the electrolyte. To take us out of the dark. Made me the boat for the water. Like Noah made the ark. This is a man's, man's, man's world. But it wouldn't be nothing, nothing. Not a woman or a bed. Man thinks about a little bit of baby girls and a baby boys. Man make them happy Cause man make them toys And after man make everything Everything he can Do you know that man makes money To buy from other men? This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org